Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoors, the podcast. We've got a special one for you today. Uh, we're going to be doing some listener Q&As. Uh, you can find those at the end of the podcast. There's show notes down below that'll tell you exactly where those are if you want to skip ahead to them. But for now, we're going to be talking with my stepdad, Mike Dillon. Mike, how are you? I'm doing good. Glad to have you on. First time you've been on here in uh, yeah. 500 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> 530 something That's episodes. right. Then we got, we got two other hosts. We got Jacob Myers. Yep. Yeah. We got Clyde. We got Clyde. Scott Seals gets that reference. Yeah, Scott. Yeah, Scott and the YouTubers get that reference. <laughs> but uh, no, dude, I, I'm excited because Mike, it's fun to have you on for this uh, this breakdown episode. Just because we've talked about you so much on the podcast and like your journey as a deer hunter. Because we're gonna talk That's a little right. bit more like 
you didn't grow up as a deer hunter. You're just like this is you really. Last year you hunted a couple times, right? Yeah, about two or three times. And then this year you're going like all out. Yeah. And having close encounters after close encounters, and it's like it's going to happen at some point. It's got to. So we, that's why I wanted to get you on. That's one reason I asked you about coming on the podcast because I'm like. I want to get you on before you kill a deer and then after you kill a deer. Okay. And to see, I, I, want, I want to read the room and, and, and read also mentally and physically how you feel before and after. So we're, we're going to test some of that stuff out today because okay. you've had so many close calls. It's like, uh, I think all of us can kind of understand. Like I, I told this in the podcast, when I started bow hunting, I think I went one, two, three, four, four or five seasons before I actually like killed a deer with my bow. Um, and it was just so many missed opportunities, missing deer, not making bad shots on deer, and then finally it clicked, and I was like, "Oh, this is awesome!" <laughs> it all it all came together. So I was saying, yeah. I, I missed like six or seven deer when I was a kid before I ever killed one. So yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is what it is. I want to talk about one of the reasons that I guess you haven't been on is because mm. like you just started hunting, but uh, you you're you're not like not an outdoorsman. You've been you're you're like a hardcore canoe guy. I want to talk about that a little bit. Okay. Uh, so like, what what is kind of your like journey or upbringing? I guess in the outdoors. Okay. Well, uh, I think you know, as a kid, uh, you know, my dad didn't really do a lot of outdoor stuff, but there was a guy in our neighborhood that uh, took me down the Cabo River um, when I was like 12 years old, and from there. I just started canoeing and fishing the Cobble River and, and just loving being out there. And, uh, you know, that's what I've done. I've, I've done a lot of canoeing, uh, long-distance trips, overnight camping, fishing, been to, you know, other states paddling. And then I started getting into whitewater paddling. And um, eventually, a couple of years ago, I, I paddled the entire Cobble River. Uh, and then I paddled the entire Tallapoosa all in one trip. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, the adventure of it is what attracts me. Just being outdoors and, you know, you run into storms and, and you know, just the adversity. challenge. Yeah, adversity, the challenge of it. And uh, so I think that's one thing that attracts me about hunting as well. Yeah. Dude, the, the, I'm getting a little bit off subject here, but, like, me and Jacob have this mountain hunt coming up. And when we scouted for it the other day, I sent you the track. We did eight miles, 1,200 vertical feet. And it was, like, some pretty rough stuff. It wasn't terrible, but, I mean, some of it was pretty rough. And we were talking about bringing you out there to get you, like, a change of scenery from the hunting club and, like, go see some different sign, hunt some different woods. And whenever we talk about bringing someone on a trip like that, we're like, man, like, can they hang? Like, can they do it? Because sometimes, like, you bring people mm-hmm. – and like that's just too much, like a hunt like that. But I was like, no, nah, Mike's always down to suffer. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I can handle it. <laughs> that Tallapoosa canoe trip. I mean, I paddled uh, forty-two miles in one day. Paddled till midnight because I couldn't get out of the river because the the banks were so high. And uh, ended up sleeping on my canoe on a gravel bar after throwing up from <laughs> exhaustion. So I, I can handle some <laughs> suffering. You know. I can handle some stuff. By, by the way, how long was that trip in, in the uh, the uh, Cahaba trip? The Cahaba trip was 185 miles, and it took me nine days. And uh, the uh, Tallapoosa trip, I pushed it a little bit harder. It's 250 miles from you know near Tallapoosa, Georgia, all the way down the Alabama River, and then I did that in ten days. So, so you went from Georgia to like Montgomery, right? Yeah, to near Watonka, Yeah. God. 
And you had to, and what's uh, what's kind of brutal about that is like how many lakes you had to go through. <laughs> yeah, that, that I, was I love brutal. canoeing. I like floating down a river. <laughs> well, that's what why I enjoyed the Cabo trip a lot more because it's yeah. more of a free free flowing river. And uh, but the Tallapoosa, I had to paddle through um, Wadawi and Lake Martin, mm. and you know my my hands were so jacked up from paddling. <laughs> uh, you know, by the time I got to Lake Martin Dam, and I still had two more lakes to go through. Oh, know? my gosh, man. Uh, yeah, so. Well, but it was an adventure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, like, and that's something me and you connected over, too. Mm-hmm. Like, when you became my stepdad was I grew up on the Cahaba also. Right. You know, and so and so that's something that we kind of shared. But you didn't get into actual hunting until you got a dog, right? Yeah, until, you know, I didn't even really want a dog, but. Mm-hmm. Your, your mom did, and I was like, well, we're going to get one that can go canoeing with me and go on adventures with me, and then Andrew suggested a uh, small Munsterlander, and so that's what we, I, we did the research. It was a good house dog. Uh, it was a good, versatile dog. I thought that'd be perfect size for the canoe, And but then you get a bird dog, and what do you got to do with it? Got to go bird hunting, man. Yeah, and so that kind of sucked me into it a little bit, and then, you know, I enjoyed it so much, and Start listening to y'all's podcast and, and you know, just like, man, th- you know, that sounds like, you know, fun adventure to go and m- more learning because I like to learn new stuff. And, you know, so here I am. And then also I'm like, you know, I'm getting up there. I need to do as much stuff as I can yeah. before I'm too old to do it, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. So, so, yeah, you started out with the bird hunting stuff and then we took you on your first deer hunts last year. And, like, I want to talk about the first deer hunt because from my perspective, mm. we get out of the truck. It, we were, I was like, I'm just going to take him to a food plot. It's going to be easy. On you the hunting club. Yeah, on the hunting club. Uh, you weren't a member of the club yet. Right. I was like, you just come out there with me. Like, we just got your camo. Like, you just got a gun. And uh, and I'm like, we're just going to go sit this food plot, and that'll be a good introductory. This is, like, the first time. And we round the corner to go to the food plot, and there's four does in it. I'm like, Mike is about to kill a deer three minutes into his first hunt. <laughs> and so, like, adrenaline spike. And they're still, like, we spot them at, like, 350 or something because they're on a power line. 350 what? Mm-hmm. Yards. 350 miles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, eagle eye. Here. 350 inches. Um, so we started, we started easing down there and crawling up on them. And we got to a point where it was, like, kind of a far shot. But I'm like, I don't really know if we can get any further. What What was your perspective on that, that that whole hunt? Well, you know, it's uh, you know, to me, I hadn't shot a lot of deer rifles, and you know, I'm still trying to get, you know, an idea of how steady you need to be and stuff like that. And and I had the your pack, your backpack, and my rifle. Oh yeah, up on it, but it was still I couldn't get a uh, I couldn't get a shot on them. And so I lifted it up on its side to get it, the gun a little bit higher. And, uh, you know, when I shot, you know, I don't know if I just pulled through and was steady enough or the pack fell over or what, but I missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She, and she just stood there, too. I've, I was watching yeah. through the binos, and I saw that bullet splash like a foot and a half over her back. I was like, <laughs> And so, and, and then I didn't, you know, and. I don't have that muscle memory to know to chamber to another one. You know? Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I was like, rack another, rack another. Because she just stood there. Because like, I was oh, just was like that? looking at it. It's like, dang it. I missed it. 
<laughs> yep. Oh man. So that was like that was a little too easy. And then um there was a couple other hunts last year. Like we took you out there on New Year's. Did you just hunt food plots last year? Uh, I, f- I hunted uh, w- at the end of the year, the last day of hunting season. I think we went out there and I hunted a road on from oh, the ground yeah. because yeah. I, you know, didn't have the capability to get in a tree or anything like that. Okay, like that. yeah, I remember now. Yeah, so we went a couple times, and uh, this would be a good uh, conversation about about the hunting club and and how things are going on the club mm-hmm. because the contrast between like last year and this year is pretty pretty stark. Because I mean, you you had the the hunt that first hunt where you missed a doe and I don't, did you see another deer after that? No, <laughs> but I enjoyed sitting in the shooting houses and looking out at the field. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, man, that grass is really green. <laughs> it's really pretty. Jacob, have you got anything? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Sitting there, like looking at your front yard, just nice little mowed down, <laughs> you know, food pot cause deer hammer it, but they're not hitting it until dark. And, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think it's kind of funny, but also I'll mention this. So Mike, I've shot your rifle before. It has one of the most god awful triggers I've ever seen on a gun. Oh, really? When it comes to, and this this is why I kind of go back to like you shooting like that. It was hard for me to shoot accurately, and I, and I shoot a good bit and, and shoot a bunch of different rifles, but like that trigger is so stiff. Like I'd love to put a scale on it. It's probably, if I had to guess, nine and a half, almost ten pound trigger, um, and it's it's so stiff that it's hard to like focus and get that shot to break cleanly because you're so focused. Like I got to get this trigger pulled all the way back. And I think that definitely hurts a little bit with you, okay. especially being a little bit newer shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I've told Andrew before in the past. I'm like, you need to let Mike use your gun. You know, mm-hmm. let, let him experience that a little bit. You know, experience a little bit lighter trigger. Dude, hey, you want a light trigger? I got that seven mag in there. Now she's gonna kick a little bit. Mm-hmm. She's kind of mean, but dude, <laughs> that trigger is like you look at it funny and it goes. Anyways, I'm sorry. Yeah, but that but that helps a ton, um, especially like I, I wouldn't want like a crazy crazy like a under two and a half pound trigger for someone new shooting because like you want to be able to feel the trigger and like make sure you know everything's steady while you're like pulling through you don't want it the second you touch the trigger it goes off right like anthony my uncle has a gun like that his seven mag and it's it is crazy light uh i think i think he's measured his like one and three quarter pounds he had like a crazy trigger job done to Mine, it that's two pounds yeah and it's that's super light but like something that's around four to five pounds something that's like you have to be distinct enough to like make sure you're pulling the trigger, but it breaks super clean for you. Will help out tremendously of like just focusing on the target, and you're not focusing on like I've got to pull this trigger all the way back and for it to go off. Right. Um, so I, I think that would that would help tremendously. But we're now in gun season here in Alabama, mm-hmm. and we've had some other kind of close encounters with you. We, we bitch this on the podcast because we give mic updates without having you on <laughs> and, uh, about like all these close calls during posties and all that kind of stuff. But one thing we haven't talked about is you had another encounter with a buck. Was it last week? Last Saturday? This past Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. yeah you're getting way ahead here, dude. Oh. Oh, we got to back it up a little okay, bit. Okay. We, got, we got time. We got time. Uh, another thing too, by the way, like you, you also, so you got into it through the bird hunting, but also just like small game in general. So like, uh, I think we did a little bit of like upland hunting, um, but you, you went and jump shot ducks last year. On an SOA hunt here in Alabama, right? right? And that and that was like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like that was your first like really successful hunting experience, wasn't it? Yeah. So that was, uh, you know, I've gone out with you guys a couple of times and you know killed a woodcock and I killed a goose on the Kaaba and mm-hmm. you know some stuff like that. But with that SOA hunt, you know, I had, you know, um, that hunt 
nobody else was really available to go so i just took angus my dog with me mm-hmm. and and never hunted ducks never jump sh- shot ducks and went out there and figured it out you know and i was like the only person in in that hunt that killed anything yeah and i <laughs> you know so i felt yeah. Like, I did a pretty good job figuring it out. You no, know? that was awesome. I was so – were we on our SOA hunt? I think, yeah, yeah, you were. We, you were on yeah, your SOA Yeah, hunt. we were on our deer hunt, and I remember getting the text. We were in the tree. You sent me a text of Angus with those two ducks, and I was just like, yeah, dude. Yeah. I was so fired up. So, yeah, yeah that, so that kind of got you started, which we got a picture of Angus right here on the table. Um, so that, that kind of got you started. And then this year, like, we did a lot of – prep before the season we got you a bow mm-hmm. we got it tuned up we got you a climber uh got you climbing trees so you were like kind of ready to roll and then bow season rolled around and you were like hot and heavy going right into bow season mm-hmm. so uh, well i mean what was that like what was that like anticipation like getting into the season uh it was interesting and uh jacob took me out to my first tree mm-hmm. and helped me get started up the tree oh yeah in the dark <laughs> and uh you know sat there you know, that whole morning it didn't see anything, and then it was it was like, man, it's just gonna be like last year. And then that afternoon, you know, put me over there in a in a spot where, you know, I had I had some does come in, and I was like, man, there are deer out here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, ended up taking a shot on one of those and missed, of course. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Well, I mean, I haven't killed one yet, That's right? True. So That's all true. my shots are misses so far. <laughs> <laughs> so you you whiffed on a doe, and yeah, I remember because you didn't take. See, like Mike is real low key in our group messages because we'll always do a group message when we're hunting with people, and it was like me and you and Thomas, but like it was us three and and your brother Thomas Jacob, mm-hmm. and we're like texting, we're like, oh, this and that, I saw this, I saw that. Mike doesn't say anything. Yeah, it was like, is Mike dead? Like, where's Mike <laughs> and at? Then, and then we get back to the to the check station, and you're like, you, I, I don't know what you did, you like held up the arrow or something. I'm like, no way, because I just saw like mm-hmm. a deployed broadhead, and I'm like, I thought you killed it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I thought no. you killed one. No, yeah. So the only reason I'm quiet is I'm sitting there going. <laughs> looking around trying not to move because i want a deer to come in <laughs> yeah he was telling me about that the other day i'm like mike sounds what so much more focused than me <laughs> like, like man i was in the stand the other day watching the freaking football game on my phone and everything and i look over and I'm like, oh crap there's a doe at eight yards <laughs> yeah i'm up there just you know hear a squirrel i'm like what's that is that a deer <laughs> <laughs> yeah what's that sound <laughs> getting tuned up yeah so, so I'm learning new sounds out there, you know. Oh, you will learn eventually. It'll take a while, but you will learn the difference between like a squirrel and a deer where you can tell if it's a squirrel and and not a deer. But what still gets me is a freaking armadillo because mm. armadillos are so loud. They're like the loudest animal in the woods. And you're, you're like, that is a deer for sure. Because deer are pretty loud too. Like if you yeah. can actually hear them, if they're not being all quiet coming in. Um, so you had that, you had a opening morning, you had a, a miss. Uh, what after that? I, I can't. I'm trying to remember now. You you went and hunted the creek uh, in a spot that I'd found some white oaks, but you sat on the other side of the creek. And I think you said you had some more encounters over there. Yeah, I'm trying to think on that day. Mm. Uh, what I did back behind uh, Ronnie's field. Yeah, so I got on the. You're talking about the opening day of gun season. No, no, no. This is uh, this is still in both season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, back behind Ronnie's field where the where we jump shot the other day. Oh yeah, so I went back out there 
yeah, behind Ronnie's field. And we call it Ronnie's field because there's a guy in our hunting club who hunts that field a lot. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, I was went out there and was in the dark trying to find a tree and uh, found, you know, was looking for some sign and stuff like that. And I and I was like, well, I think you know this this area looks good because of the it was like a little um, dry creek, you know, um, meander. And there was a bunch of tracks in there. So the, there was a bunch of trees in there that couldn't get in. And there was this one tree and about 12 foot up, you know, it kind of curved like that. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to get in that tree and climbed up there. And I got part way up and look over and there's a doe, you know, across the creek, you know, to, to my south. And then, um, you know, I'm sitting there looking at my bow down there and, and, <laughs> and so I, I went ahead and just climbed up the tree, and the doe kind of, he, did, he didn't see me because I was on the opposite side of the tree, but he just kind of went off in another direction. And then, then a little bit later that, um, uh, a couple hours later, you know, a, a doe comes out on the other side of the creek and to, to my um, east. And uh, they were too far to shoot. They are about 40 yards out. So that was my next experience. Uh, and then it was a few weeks later that I was out there um, in that spot where I saw the doe the first time, and I had a doe come in there that I shot at and missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's something that uh, me and Jacob were actually talking about because, like, you're you're still so new at it that there's there's like certain things that I think that maybe we take for granted a little bit of like of when is it okay to draw back or right. uh, like can you draw back if she's looking at you or like, what's the situation or uh, like looking over your gun instead of down the barrel of your gun before you're ready to shoot. Uh, That's another thing. Like when me and you squirrel hunted last year, I noticed that, that like you would be like aiming at the squirrel, but you'd be like down on the gun, like looking through your sights, but you weren't ready to shoot yet. And you were having trouble finding the squirrel. And I was like, Hey, find the squirrel and then bring the gun up to your eye. You know, and, like, little stuff like that that, like, you just have to learn. I mean, it yeah. just takes time. That's in, you know, it's like over the last couple of years, I've learned a lot of little stuff like that, and I'm mm-hmm. getting better. Um, but, you know, like with that that uh, that doe on that time, I wasn't ready. The doe came into view, like, 10 yards from me. And I was like, my bow wasn't drawn. And then I was started to do it, and she looked up at me, and I just froze, you know. Yeah. And you were saying I should have just gone ahead and drawn back at that point. Uh, me? Because yeah. as soon as she looked down, I drew back, but then she moved out of out of sight. And there was just a small little window for me to shoot her, and I shot and missed. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, man, I don't know. Like, it, it, it just depends on the situation. Sometimes there's, like, nothing you can do, but, like, if if she busts me and she's like all the way in my shooting lane and everything and she's like kind of looking at me, I'll just go ahead and just follow through and draw. Like, have you done that, Jacob? Like, does that work for you? Because if I if I halfway draw or if she catches me drawing and I stop, then I'm screwed. Yeah. But if she catches me drawing and I just keep drawing, then I I usually end up getting a shot off. If that makes sense. I don't know if she. I guess she didn't see you before you drew, but yeah, no, I I, I haven't drawn through when one's like dead eye looking right at me especially like quarter two but it seems like if they think they see you and what i've had experience with is like if they 
look up there and they're like, there's something wrong with that tree. They'll put their head down a lot of times and they'll start to turn to move away. And if you draw then sometimes, especially if they're not walking directly away from you, you can get a shot angle. Like the second they kind of turn, they kind of get away from your tree. Um, but I, I've never just kept drawing on one that was like right there looking at me. Um, most time it's like they kind of look up and then they start when they start looking around because sometimes they look up and they start looking around like, is there anything else around me? You can draw then and catch them off guard a little bit. Uh, like one of the deer I shot in Tennessee a couple of years ago was just like that. Like they came in, group of does came in opening day. Well, I was hunting some public and uh, I didn't see them because they came through some stuff and I, I, it was real thick stuff. I didn't know they were there until like 15 yards from me. I was like, oh crap. So I was like trying to stand up because I was sitting in a little lock on, a little mobile lock on and uh, trying to get myself situated, had my bow in my hand. And when the, the, the lead doe popped out, she didn't look up at me, but she knew something was wrong because I had walked to that point and decided there wasn't a good tree there. So I backtracked back to the tree I climbed and uh, she caught my ground scent. And then as she was like looking around, she like happened to look away from me. And that's when I drew the bow and then she stepped out and started walking, kind of quartering back the way they came and I was able to shot and kill her. Um, but yeah, it, it's a challenge, especially on a doe. A lot of people, a lot of people talk about like mature bucks of like how um, wary a mature buck is. But a mature doe, especially you get like a five, six-year-old doe, um, it, that, dude, they're, they are so well keen on their surroundings. Because doe home ranges, like the area that a doe will live in throughout a year, are a lot smaller than what a buck, is, what a buck will use. Because um, they don't really travel for the rut or anything like that. So they know everything in that general area. And I, it's, I swear there's sometimes you'll catch a doe come through and she like knows for sure like something is wrong in this situation. Like looks up at the tree. That wasn't here yesterday when I walked through this spot. And they're just nice. like way more wary. Dude, that happened to me the other day. That video I sent you. Yeah. Uh, the right. hunt we're about to talk about, man. Like this, I was so far up this freaking pine tree. And she was in the thickest stuff ever. And she, I have it on video. She's just like, Looked straight up in the tree at me. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then she blew at me 50 times. And I was like, well, thanks. Thanks, honey. Kapow! <laughs> 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 yeah, if she blows, she goes. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so that 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 kind of brings us to the, the buck encounters you had. So we told the story on the podcast before, but, like, I went into this area. Me and you had ran cameras in there all summer. And uh, I had basically scouted. I'd pushed into an area that we hadn't been to before. There's kind of a part of the property that all these deer are hanging out in, and I, I pushed in there just to scout it on the first day of, like, a cold front. It was, like, really windy, so I'm like, I think I can slip in there. Found all these red, uh, rubs, fresh rubs, which there is, like, no buck sign on this club. Like, you just go walk around in places you think you'd find buck sign. There's, like, no buck sign. So it's, a, like, a really weird place. And so when I found that, I'm like, okay, this, is, this should be really good. And so that afternoon we were talking about where to go, and I was like, Mike, why don't you go in there and I'm going to swing around and go here. And then that was the day you had the encounter. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. How, how did that go down? Well, you know, I got up in there and, you know, I haven't had any buck <laughs> encounters really. You like know, you haven't seen like a rack buck in the woods yet, have you? Well, I had, uh, you know, just from work. I work outdoors some and, you know, I've run into some, you know, in the past, but not hunting. Yeah. And not as close as these were um and so i was just up in the tree and you know you've, you've told me you know like that last you know hour of shooting light is you know the best time and mm -hmm. so i got real focused 
you know, right there and was just really listening out. And, and there had been a lot of squirrels and, you know, just a lot of stuff going on all around the whole time. And um, I uh, was sitting there and I started to hear something up on the ridge and, and I look up. It's about 530 in the afternoon. This is before daylight savings. And, you know, the sun was shining right on the top of the ridge and I just see this white rack come coming. <laughs> and I was like, is that, is that really what I'm <laughs> think it is? And I was like, that's a, you know, that's a big deer. And, uh, and then it was like eye level with me. It was coming right towards me. So I just, you know, I couldn't do anything. And it was about, I guess, 40 yards away. And then it, it you know, I see something else behind. I see another rack behind it. And, and it turns and I still can't draw because there's another big deer. <laughs> and and then it turns and, and it's kind of quartered away from me and you know there's another one it ended up being five bucks you know two spikes and three really good deer and there was an area where they're going to be about 25 yards from me over here where there's a big white oak and that's where the big 10 stopped and and he was the lead deer, wasn't he? Yeah, he was the lead deer. And then there was an eight point and then a big six point in those two spikes. And I was like drawn back for a little while and just like bow is shaking, you know, <laughs> and I'm like leaning up against the tree to try to get steady. And the deer was stopped to where I could see, you know, I could see right behind here and back. And there's a sparkleberry bush there. And you know, I aimed and, and shot and thought, you know, thought I had a good shot, but obviously my arrow hit a branch well, or something. Well, I wanted you to go back and you had texted or maybe called, you texted us that you think you had you shot one or something like that. And I think Andrew called you and, and asked, like, what did the shot sound like? Right. And you said something that was Yeah, like it, sounded, it sounded like it whacked. It, it, you know, it sounded like a whack sound. Well, yeah. You mentioned it didn't sound like I hit the ground. No, I didn't hit the ground. <laughs> I know I didn't Had hit the ground because I know sound. what that sounds like. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it, it didn't sound like it hit dirt and leaves. You know? <laughs> um, so, you know, I was thinking, you know, I thought for sure I hit it, but I wasn't, I wasn't very confident. But then listening to Andrew talk about, you know, you, maybe you did based on the sound, it got, got me kind of excited and, but even then, when I thought I'd hit it, I was up. I was up there, just like the adrenaline was was going. <laughs> the adrenaline's going, seeing something like that, mm -hmm. you know, for the first time in your life, and and you got a shot on it like that, you know. So it was like it's my my best, most epic hunting experience, and I didn't, it didn't even kill anything, you know. So mm -hmm. yeah, no, that that was awesome, and that that was right before we went to Arkansas. So that mm -hmm. was like November. Early November, and uh, like I said, that might sound weird to some people that you had a bachelor group in front of you, but uh, right now it's uh, December 5th, and they're still not rutting here. So they're, we're still, you know, a couple weeks out from the rut. Mm -hmm. So they were still bachelored up, and pretty much that bachelor group that we were getting on camera all summer mm -hmm. is what showed up right there, which, yep. like, I didn't expect because, like, I still don't have a lot of experience in this area. And uh, when you said that you saw five bucks, I was like, whoa, okay. Like I was, yeah. I was thinking that you were going to see like some does and a buck might come through there, you know, cause there were some, there were some fresh rubs and that's not something you see on the club very often. 
And that also just makes me think about this club, man. It's like there's a bachelor group in there. They're all hard horned. They're all working the area. And they're still, it's just still not like the amount of sign that I find like anywhere else that I go. Yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's That's one reason I want to get you to a different area that is like just right. a different feel because I think it'll be good to like kind yeah. of branch out because I mean I don't know what I don't know what the it, deal it's is that that's that property is one of the most depressing properties to scout because you just don't find much bucks on no it. you don't rubs scrapes you just don't find much hmm. yeah yeah it's it's strange but uh, yeah so that like we went over there and of course you know we already told the story on the podcast right. but you ended up hitting a limb or something and and weren't able to to get that deer um, and fast forward like a couple weeks so gun season opens. And you just, you, like, you were seeing deer almost every hunt in both season, weren't right. you? Yeah. It was like out of seven hunts, I saw deer, you know, four times or something like that. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah, and then really open day gun season, what does Andrew do to you? He, uh, you know, I don't think he meant to, to gar hole me. <laughs> the gar hole daddy himself. <laughs> no, I don't think that. So. I mean, I think if I really wanted to go to that spot he would have let me go to it but yeah so that's another situation uh so like truth be told what i've been doing is gar on you this whole time no. <laughs> i'll be like mike has to no, suffer he's some trying to help me be successful so, so what i'm what i've been doing is i have been picking this is why i like hunting picking with, two spots and let me pick one of them yeah two or three spots and i and i will tell you whether or not i think like what is the best spot so like the day that you missed the 10 point i was like that is the best spot mm -hmm. and me and jacob went to like a kind of an unproven spot but it was a spot that i thought would be really good mm -hmm. i think it is a really good spot mm -hmm. i think we need to go back there but uh so like i'll say okay these two spots this is probably the better one you want to go there and so open a day of gun season i chose something different i was i, I had a couple spots in mind for me and you and sam greedy <laughs> and 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 Sam got there late, and so Sam and Blakely ended up hunting like a food plot or something. Right. But me and you were there, and I was like, okay, there's this spot and this spot. I really don't know which one's going to be better, but which one do you want? And you chose the creek. Yeah, you chose going low, and I chose something else. Yeah. <laughs> and it got to be almost dark, and uh, and that first buck came out. I was like, son of a gun. And it's like <laughs> I heard kapow from over the ridge on the other side <laughs> yeah. i'm like no i think it's opening day is andrew didn't get him another one did he <laughs> <laughs> you got one opening day yeah, of both season and, and gun season every, every gunshot that we heard sam was like was that one of y'all was that one of y'all and then that one he's like okay that had to be because <laughs> <of> <laughs> I, I think i told sam i'm like hey if one of us shoots you're gonna know if, yeah <laughs> if, it, if it was one of us but yeah that was that situation that day and uh, and actually, same thing on this last hunt, which we'll, right. we'll talk about this one before we kind of move on. Uh, this last hunt was the same thing. We had two different areas that I thought was going to be really good. I really didn't know which one would be better, especially as far as just trying to kill a doe. And uh, and I actually thought that you were in the better spot that day too. So I let you choose, and you ended up choosing going back to where you missed the ten point. So nobody's hunted it since you missed that ten point. Right. Back in early November, so now we choose to, you know, there, there's this other spot that we haven't really hunted yet, and then we got the ten point spot, and you chose the ten point spot. I'm like, okay, he's in the good spot. I go to the other area, 
and I ended up seeing two does like really early in the afternoon. It was like three o'clock. And, uh, then those two does came through. And when I saw those does, I was like, gosh, dang it, man. <laughs> Cause I was like, Mike should have come here. Cause she walked into like yeah. 12 feet, you know, before she busted me. I mean, I could have shot her before she got to that spot. Uh, but I was like, dang it, man, Mike should have come here. And again, Mike radio silent the whole time, <laughs> you know, outside we were texting about some gunshots that we heard, but didn't say anything. And then, uh, and then you call So talk about this hunt. Cause I didn't know what you saw during the hunt until afterwards. Okay. Yeah. So it this time, you know, last time I was there, there was a lot of, uh, squirrels and a lot of activity going around this time. It was like dead silent and, uh, it, it had rained earlier and, uh, you know, I just, you know, sat up there and I kind of felt like I wasn't going to see anything, but around 440, I start hearing something off to the north. It starts coming down. Um, some, you know, I could tell it's a stick break. I was like, that's gotta be a deer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sitting there looking in that direction and, um, you know, I have my gun ready. I stand up, and all of a sudden I see, you know, rack coming into view. And it was very brief. But, you know, I pulled up and I was scope, had my scope out, and I could see him in my scope, and then he was gone, you know, before I could really get a good aim on him and, and shoot. <clears throat> but it was either a six-point or an eight-point, but it looked like a, you know, a really good deer. I mean, I knew immediately I was going to, sh- you know, I was going to shoot, you know, a, a small buck anyway. <laughs> but I knew this one was definitely going to be a good be, good deer, so I don't know which one it was, but it may have yeah. been one of the ones we've been catching on camera. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what deer it was either, but I was uh, I was relieved to hear you say that because I'm like, yes, okay, Mike, Mike saw something. I didn't take the good spot, yeah. and uh, and you saw a buck. So yeah, I know. So anytime if I just seeing a buck, if, I mean to me that was a great yeah. hunt for me, and you know I want to kill one of course, you know, but mm-hmm. um, you know it's just you know I can't explain it, but just sitting out there and and get to see something like that, you know. Yeah, getting to cool. see getting to see a buck in the woods, man. Yeah. There's something special about it. Yeah, for real. So uh, did you hear any turkeys that day? By the way, no turkeys. No turkeys. Man, those turkeys have been on the roads lately out there. I mean, we begin this rain, and oh my gosh, it's been it's getting me a little bit fired up. I'm not gonna lie for uh, for the spring, but so yeah, you were able to see that deer. Unfor- unfortunately, weren't able to get a shot, but no. you know that's part of it, especially when you're hunting in a in an area like that's as thick as that and being able to see through the woods, you mm-hmm. know, like a lot of times you could see a deer, but you might not always get to shoot it. Right. Uh, and it, he just got past you so fast. But um, the fact that they're still using that bedding area makes me feel really good. And one thing I wanted to talk about is just the difference between, you know, last year and this year, as far as uh, you're able to, you got the climber and you're able to actually get off the, food plots get off the obvious spots like the power lines and roads and everything and you're able to get in the woods and actually hunt and you know your ratio of what you've been seeing has just like gone through the roof that's right so like what i mean what's that like what's the i don't know i guess just from like a beginner standpoint going from you know we went on the work day we're hanging out with everybody they're talking about their ladder stands and their their food plots and everything, and then basically just going around them and just literally hunting the cover that they're looking at, I yeah. guess. Well, I mean, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's like 
I'm I'm an older guy and I'm just getting into hunting. I need to. I've got a short time. Uh, I've got to have a fast learning curve. You know? Yeah. But I've got these two guys here, so I mean, I'm blessed <laughs> to have that. But you know, you know, it's easy to see. You know that people get in this rut of just sitting out in a greenfield and and waiting for you know a buck that's only going to come out at night in the greenfield. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I've seen a lot of deer this year, you know, and it's only December, you know, and uh, so I don't know. I just feel like getting up in a tree and learning some of the stuff I've learned from you guys and from listening to the podcast. I mean, it's just, you know, put me in a position to where I've got opportunities. I just got to seal the deal next, you know. Oh, yeah. Mike, I got a question for you. What's one of the biggest things you felt like you've learned? that you didn't think was as important or wasn't even something on your radar before you actually started deer hunting? Hmm. That's a tough one. There's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that I didn't know, you know, I mean, the, from the very start, probably I didn't know how important knowing what trees are and, you know, what deer feed on, you know, and stuff like that, you know, just don't, if you're not a hunter, you don't even think about that stuff. I've been out in the woods, you know, camping and canoeing and, and exploring and just not even cared what, you know, there's, there's pine trees and there's oak trees and yeah. and that's it. You know, there's, you know, sycamores and those that are obvious. And um, so anyway, that's, you know, just learning that kind of stuff, uh, what deer feed on. And then I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about what a scrape was or a rub or you know anything like that you know what deer sign was i was tramping probably all through deer sign my whole life and never really paid attention to it yeah so just the basics really you know there's a lot there's a lot to learn Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls. And it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com. Use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. 
And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code Southern at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. That's interesting. And uh, I actually like what you said about the, the thing about the trees and, and like feed and everything. Because, I mean, when you get right down to it, I think that's one of the main factors that differentiates like you or us from all those other guys in the club is like the reason i think the reason they hunt those food plots so much is one because they're easy but also two because like they don't they don't know that stuff you know like they might know what a white oak is but but all the the other things like the the browse species that are on the ground or other kind of oak trees that might be producing Mm -hmm. like they might not know that and so they don't really like if they were to just strike off into the woods and try to find a spot, you know, close to where the deer are coming from, they don't really know what to look for. Right. You know, and some of the guys in the club will joke about that. You know, we'll be at the camp house or whatever, and there was one guy talking about somebody in the club who still hunts the food plots a lot, but he, he gets off the food plot some, and, like, I know where at least a lot of his blinds are, and they're not in, like, tough spots or, or like, very strategic spots or anything. But this guy's like, man, that guy gets so far in the woods, he's just as bad as the deer are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he's like, his blinds are like on logging decks and stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm like, man, he ain't even like really out like in the woods. Right. But that's kind of the mindset of these guys. And that's why uh, I think with like a relatively quick turnaround from last year to this year, we're able to just bam, get on the bucks and, and like get a lot of opportunities at them so far. Right. Like I've killed one. You've had two opportunities so far, and that's not even counting all the opportunities we've had at does. Right. Which some of the guys in the club are complaining about, you know, they haven't killed a deer out there in like seven years of being a member. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, you, you know, sitting out there last year on those green fields and, and looking at them, you know, you wouldn't think there's a lot of deer in there. But, you know, mm-hmm. you go to where the deer are, and then you realize there are uh, there's there's yeah. deer in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we uh and another thing too is like, man, we had gun season come in, and you had several back to back to back hunts where you didn't see anything. Right. And so I was like, man, I hope we don't get burned out because like that can. No, happen. I won't get burned. You know me, I can. I've got adversity. I can handle. That's it. right. Mike's always down to suffer. <laughs> and, and so we, but to break it up, I was like, hey, duck season came in, and that's something we were looking forward to. That that really did that did help. Uh, because we were looking forward to that for, I mean, since like, I don't know, October or something. Right, yep. And when we saw uh, the dates of the of the duck hunt and everything, we're like, man, we're going to go jump shoot. Because we've been seeing so many yeah. ducks on this I property. I mean, I've been sitting in a tree next to that creek watching wood ducks, you know, all Swim day long. all day. Wishing I could shoot one. 
Yeah, so we went in there and we both limited like real quick, right? And we're able to scout while we were doing it, and uh, and you actually put a camera out. Yeah, I put a camera out uh, Sunday. Uh, was was gonna hunt and then didn't feel good about those two areas and decided just to sleep in and then went out there and scouted a little bit along mm-hmm. you know in the area and found a scrape. Yep, found my first scrape all by myself without yeah. Andrew there <laughs> without Andrew there scouting with me but uh and there was a licking branch there and set a camera up I haven't got anything on it but I don't know if you know my camera sent me a couple of photos of me mm-hmm. and that's it and I've tried to get it forced send me a, a photo but it won't so I don't know if there's something wrong with the camera if there's just no, nothing on it yet yeah so I, I don't know. Um, I'm a, I was excited to hear you found that scrape, though. So you got to give it time. They'll, they'll start showing up, especially over these next two or three weeks with how the rut falls. Those scrapes should, like, really start to ramp up here right. within two or three weeks. So, you know, we're, we're kind of just now getting all of our cameras back out there because a, a lot of my cameras were in Arkansas. Uh, and so now I'm, like, kind of slowly putting them back out, and we're getting your cameras back out because we ended up pulling them because mm-hmm. someone messed with our cameras. So we right. ended up pulling all of them. Uh, and so now we're just getting them back out. So now we're trying to focus on more rut specific stuff. So scrapes, uh, possibly like trails that go through funnels, which we haven't really found one of those yet. Um, but I think we've put like, like three or four cameras down on scrapes now and, uh, already had a new buck show up on one of them. So real excited. Yeah. Real excited. Yeah. And that deer that showed up, well, uh, saw that photo. I guess that was this morning. I'm like, dude, that's an impressive looking deer. Like, real heavy mass, but he's like, he's like, it looks like he's tight frame, like just an eight point or something. Yeah, like and that. he's just right in front of the camera, and he never like turns, so you just see his profile. I mean, he looks like a good deer. I, I would, I, I want to get more. I wish you could um, download a video, but you can't on that that specific kind of uh, cell camera. Which which. Uh, cell camera is that? It's a bush nail. It's that bush. Yeah. So yeah. You got to go to the pull the card in order to get that. Yes, yeah, so you actually got to pull the card. But yeah, that's a that's a brand new spot I scouted that I, I have never been to on the club. Walked it, hit the edge, walked the edge of the thick stuff, found a scrape, put a camera on it, got a doe the next day. Two three days later, that buck came through. So going pretty good so far. Yeah. Pretty good so far. And then me and you went and uh, put one of your cameras on a scrape the other day. Right. That we haven't checked yet. We'll probably check that one like closer to Christmas. I'm really eager to see what shows up on that one. So non-cellular. Yeah, it's just a Browning camera. But uh I don't know. We're still like like you said the other day, we're kind of still like casing the place out a little bit cuz we've got this little nucleus of buck activity on one part of the property that we're really focusing on. But I don't really know what's on the rest of the property. Yeah. Like we haven't, it's 1,800 acres, so uh, it like we haven't really covered a ton of ground yet. Right. So there's no telling what else might be out there. You know, um, I'm really excited to see what else because I I've, I see the deer that are getting killed in the neighborhood on the properties around us. Uh, there was a guy in the club across the street that killed a really nice deer the other day, really big buck. And I'm like, okay. I mean, they're here. I'm yeah. sure there's more because we got, we got two or three nice ones on our part of the property that we've been hunting. But I think that there's probably more, you know, dispersed throughout the property that we just haven't found yet. Right. And on those, if you find those really good scrapes right now, I'm telling you, within the next two or three weeks, we will know what is on, at least what's coming through there pretty often. 
uh, for the most part. I mean, there's always going to be some that slip through the cracks, but we're going to get some good buck inventory, and you know, we hopefully we can use it this year. But also scouting all these things that we're not really hunting right now, like where we put your Browning camera. Right. That's probably going to be something that we use next year. Like, let's just say that there's a big buck that shows up. Maybe we get to go in there and kill him this year. If not, we'll probably get a crack at him next year just from what we learned this year. Right. So it's like a snowball. You know, you just got a snowball going downhill. Uh, but anyways, Jake, have you got anything else to add? I was going to ask you, what do you know about snowballs living in Alabama? I don't know nothing about <laughs> snowballs, man. <laughs> I know, I know about the snow apocalypse of 2014. That's about it. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then Mike knows about the blizzard of uh, 93 or whatever. Yeah, blizzard of 93. You lived through that. Man, I bet, I bet you could have went out and tracked deer like crazy back then. <sighs> I, w- I wasn't around for that one. Yeah, no. Um, no, I mean, other than that, this it, is kind of exciting. Like, again, hopefully this is going to be some good luck for you, Mike, so you can go out I'm there next, so. next couple weeks and kill you a buck. Or just kill you a doe. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and then get you back on the podcast. But – um, it, it is exciting kind of see someone like yourself who like didn't grow up with the hunting background, nothing like that. Now getting interested into it and like learning as you're going right. and like, and we've mentioned this a bunch of times, but it's like, you know, it feels like you have like a bunch of failures, but all of these quote unquote failures where maybe you don't have the success of actually killing a deer, but you have all these encounters is what's going to help you be able to execute in the future. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, cause it's like, it, it's one of the toughest things I've seen, and I saw an article about this, about like with youth hunters is it is youth hunters having it too easy when it comes to like their first couple times hunting. Cause someone might take them out to a corn pile or something like that, shoot their first deer and they don't really learn anything. They just like learn just how to pull the trigger on a, on a deer. Um, but like with all these experiences you're having, like that's going to compound year over year to figure out what to do in certain situations. Cause like, you know, me and Andrew are like this. Probably a lot of listeners are like this and the viewers as well. Like, when you've hunted for a while, you kind of get a gut feeling about different situations and how to handle it. When you start out, you don't have any of that. That's right. There, there's there's no gut feelings. <laughs> there's no instinct. It's just like, now, what about, crap, well, that didn't work. Well, I'm not going to do that next time. And it's like, it, you kind of learn what not to do. And, and sooner or later, you're going to figure out what works for you. And then, like, when you finally kill one, you got to remember to go back and ask yourself, why? Why was I able to kill that deer? You know, how was I able to execute the shot, execute, you know, if you climbed a tree, you know, get in quietly and all these like small things that you've done, you need to remember, always ask yourself after every hunt, especially if you have an encounter, well, why did I see that deer? You know, yeah. why do you think that deer came down off that ridge and dropped down bloody into the valley? Um, or why did that deer bust me or whatever? And that's how you start figuring out how wind uh, shifts in different areas, how thermals work and all these other kind of things. By asking yourself why, and if you don't know the answer, then you ask somebody like Andrew or myself yeah. or somebody else of like, hey, I had this situation. I don't know what happened. You know, based off how I'm telling you what I experienced, what should I have done in that situation? I think the more people in general will start doing that, you're going to quickly overcome, overcome a lot of those hurdles and start having success and then having repeatable success. Yeah. I, I do feel like I'm on a fast track compared to probably a lot of hunters. And that's what I kind of wanted to be on, you know. I, w- yeah. I wanted, you know, take in as much information as I can and have all those experiences as quickly as I can, and you know, so I can mm-hmm. learn and and have s- that kind of success that I want to, you know, have. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, without you guys, I, I wouldn't be having, I wouldn't have been seeing all these deer, you know, I wouldn't have been in this position. It'd take me a lot longer. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, and that's why we do the podcast, honestly, because uh, it, it's like a it's a new form of media, but it's like, it's a new resource that what did not exist, you know, wow. s- six years ago. Yeah, basically, uh, especially for Southern hunters, because um, like I didn't have it growing up, and and so like this would be a huge asset, and and like getting a gut feeling about stuff, like I've relayed it back to floating the Cahaba River, because mm. like I didn't have like a mentor to do that, like my dad never really did that. I think I canoed once with him. And, uh, and he like, he wasn't even really a big fisherman anyways. And so I like had to learn from scratch and it's like developing a gut feeling. It's like, man, after floating the river so many times, just doing stuff, it's like, I got to a point where if I'm floating down the Cahaba river and I go down through a shoal and there's like a little eddy on the side and deeper water with some slack water and I throw a white spinnerbait in it, I will catch a bass. <laughs> like, you get that gut feeling, you know? Right. And it's, it'll be that same way with deer, like after you get some experience. Like, you just yeah. kind of get a feeling about a spot. And like that spot with the 10 point is kind of like that for me. Like, when I walked in there, I'm like, sometimes it's just like, I don't know, this feels kind of bucky, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. after you see bucks in an area... Yeah. After a while, you're just like, you kind of get a feeling. And, and, like, we had some stuff like that the other day. Me and Jacob were scouting in an area. Oh, Andrew realized how good of a nose I have. Yeah, honestly, I was very impressed. The first time, you didn't smell them the first time, but but we were walking through an area, and, like, we kind of stopped. We're being real quiet, and Jacob's like, hey, do you have do you have one racked? I'm like, yeah, we're carrying our rifles. And he's like, I would carry your gun, like, in your hand, not on your shoulder. I'm like, okay. We take two steps, <laughs> three deer jump up and run off. I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. Wow. And then and then we get further up, and Jacob like he, he's like freaking winding something. He's like throwing that nose up. <laughs> 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 he's smelling, and uh, and he's like, I smell deer. And dude, we bumped a deer that was like 75 yards through the woods. I'm like, holy crap, dude! Like I was wow. impressed. Yeah, and some people don't understand that. Like, well, bloodhound over here. No, no, but like, because some people hear it and like, oh, it's complete BS. And I, I think you know everybody's a little bit different. But like, if you're in and around like a bed, like bedding area that deer are using all the time, even like does. Like, I was hunting a spot in Tennessee one time where I, I parked below this ridge point and the thermals were like dropping, and you could just smell deer. Like not tarsal glands, like you just smell deer, like like the deer dander, and just like all their beds and everything. And like there were deer 100 bedded up there. And I swung around and shot does coming out of that spot off yep. that r- little ridge point um but that happens all the time like i've gone in situations where like like andrew doesn't like if it's a big bu- if it's a buck or something you got a lot of tarsal glands and stank and all yeah i smell them but i like, don't smell until i get like up on them though. but see i had a hunt in another part of alabama uh, a couple weeks ago or actually no crap that was a month ago now is way well before we went to arkansas um and i climbed up this, this tree and it was about to start raining and i was trying to like see how it looks as I was going to come back in the next morning. And while I'm up in the tree, I'm like, I 100% smell a buck. Like, 100% smell a buck. And, like, the wind was swirling, so the wind's, like, going, like, round and around. It's not just coming from one direction. And, like, it's got to be right behind me because there's some real thick cover right behind me. And I turn around, I'm like, look, I'm like, that deer's super close. I had my gun with me. I was sitting there waiting for, like, a buck to pop out. Never saw it. When I got down, I had walked down this drainage from the truck to get to the spot. And this is like an hour later, I go back up and a scrape, which was not there previously, was wide open. It was, you know, four or five feet wide in diameter and it's, you could smell it from there. And I'm like, that's not what I was smelling in the tree because that was like 200 yards from there. Like, there's no way to smell that. But it smelled exactly like that buck face, like stanky tarsal gland, just buck urine. And I'm like, I bet you that buck swung through this little thick clear cut, opened that scrape up, 
swung up the ridge I was on and walked that ridge point down and probably got, I don't know, 30, 40 yards behind me. I just couldn't see him, but you could smell him. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's kind of funny. So I don't know. Some people may pick up on that, um, but Andrew can't smell anything. And then Michael Pike, everybody, Michael's hilarious. He, uh, he shot a deer on a piece of puck that uh, me and Pepper went to go help track on. And uh, he, te- he called me. He's like, man, there's a lot of scrapes in here. I'm like, cool. So like, I park the truck, I go walk to the spot. And I'm like, I get 40 yards down this little logging road, and I can smell a scrape, like just like tarsal and nastiness. And I look up, and there's a scrape 30, 40 yards from me. I walk to it, and you could smell that thing from like, again, 30, 40 yards down when plain as day, just stinky buck urine. And I go talk to Pi, because I'm like, hey, man, did you see that scrape uh, close to the trucks? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, was it open this morning? Like, did you see it get pawed out? He's like, I'm not sure. And I'm like, can you smell it? He's like, no, I can't smell. And like, ever since he had COVID, he can't smell real good anyways. And I'm like, dude, that thing is pungent. Like, there was something <laughs> there this freaking morning using that thing. Um, and it was kind of funny. While we went on our little scouting trip two days ago, I guess it was. Yeah. Uh, one of the scrapes we'd found, you couldn't really smell the scrape. The second you kicked the ground up. Oh, and like, dude. It, it, like, released that buck urine that was, like, in the scrape. And it was like, oh my god! It like hit you like a freaking brick wall. Like, it's like it's like opening, you know, like if you have to like open a garbage can or something, and it just like wafts up in oh your wow. face. The second you, oh my god, yeah, the second we kicked out that scrape to open it up a bit bigger, like it just hits you like God. I'm like okay, well, he's definitely bucks using this pretty heavily. Yeah, it didn't even have to pee in it. It already, it no. was good to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, I haven't, you know, it's like I haven't got to smell that really good enough to be able to probably identify you'll, you know? you'll get to if you come on that hunt with us for sure like because we'll be going by those scrapes at, at some point or another and uh man that that buck sign in that area is just phenomenal i mean like yeah. probably the best spot i have in alabama as far as just buck sign goes i mean it's just okay. unreal how much buck sign is in there and y'all gonna let me go huh oh yeah good deal another suffer fest yeah okay death oh, yeah. march Hey, that's how, you know, when uh, when uh, Sam first started hanging out with us and everything, mm-hmm. like, you know, Tiffany introduced us because Tiffany's friends with Sam's wife. Mm-hmm. And I, I was telling Tiffany, because she was like, why don't you take Sam Hunt? And I'm like, I'm going to take him on a death march first time. Because, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> you got to weed people out. And she told him that, and he thought it was hilarious. I'm like, you can't tell him I'm going to take him on a death march. That totally negates yeah, the, exactly. Like, you got to be like, hey, man, we're just going to go out there real quick and then take him on a four-and-a-half-mile mm-hmm. Hellfest through a thicket yeah. and see and see how he reacts. Yeah, it's like can he stay cool and calm in the moment, or does he like open up and react to the situation? <laughs> yeah, we ended up we did take Sam on a death march in turkey season. Mm-hmm. He handled it extremely well. Okay. Yeah. Actually, we had to run away from a thunderstorm, like literally run from a thunderstorm. So yeah, it was fun. We had a good time. Make it back to the truck right when lightning was striking around us. <laughs> Tornado sirens going yeah, off. Yeah. And at that moment, Sam was like, who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, all right, we got to get to our Q&A section. Uh, Jacob, you want to tell everyone about that? Yeah, so yeah, so again, on all these uh, outro breakdown episodes, we try to answer a lot of these Q&A questions where you guys can submit questions to be answered on the podcast uh, on these episodes. And you can do that by clicking the link you're listening to the podcast on apple spotify wherever in the show notes below there'll be a link there you can click and submit your question there also if you're on youtube the link is down in the show description below so in the video notes you'll see down below it'll have a link for q a's feel free to submit them we've had some really good ones come in also we've had a ton of listener success stories come in i mention this every single week but y'all are racking up some deer right now like it's been absolutely insane good like, deer like man. november was insane but that link is also down in the show notes below. So, again, in the video podcast or on the audio feed, 
go down the show notes. You can click and actually submit your listener success story there. Or if you just happen to forget, it's in the show notes. All you have to go is uh, all you have to do is go to the southernoutdoorsman.com, the website, and there's a link there to submit your listener success stories. And again, there's been some crazy good ones. Yeah, for sure. All right, this one, uh, this first one is from a uh, a fellow who's written in a couple good listener success stories this year. And a couple Q&As, uh, Mason Brooke from Georgia. Oh, he's back. He's back, baby. Man, he killed him a drop-ton deer. And yeah, he killed, he, so Mason killed a drop-ton deer. Mason, we might have to get you on the podcast, my man. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I might have to hit you up soon. Uh, he said, yo, got a question to cover on the podcast. Okay, a little bit of backstory, actually, on this. Mason wrote in, he's got a property in Georgia. He's got a hunting club. It's almost all clear-cut. It's very gentle rolling hills. And before season, they came in and sprayed that clear cut and killed a lot of it back like they were getting ready to burn it and then i think they did end up burning it right you remember i'm pretty sure they did end up but anyways it's got like really skinny little smz's actually similar to our club the those like mulched areas where it's just really thick on the edges and that smz is like 20 30 yards wide it's a lot like that uh where it's just the whole property is just really really thick and nasty by the way what is an smz again Streamside Management Zone. Man, we got blown up on some YouTube comments because I guess we did an episode where we didn't explain that. Because typically when we say well, SMZ, we try to explain it. Well, there's a video like. podcast, and the t- one of the titles, or part of the title is, What is an SMZ? It's on the thumbnail. Image. <laughs> yes, yeah, actually. Go click it. Go to the... Go yeah, check it out. Yeah, it, it has it on It's there. where they leave mature timber around a creek uh, in order to prevent erosion when they're logging. Typically, that's where you're going to find hardwoods. Typically, that's where your oaks are going to be. So it'll be pines on the ridges. Hardwoods in the bottoms. That bottom is your SMC. Uh, but anyways, so he's got skinny little SMZs, and, and we we talked about. He wrote in a couple questions about how to attack the property, and it was. I think we said, you know, look in those SMZs for feed trees. Look at the low spots, going through the thickets. Try to find community scrapes. And uh, one reason I want to get him on is because he did that extremely well, and he killed he killed a drop time buck out there, like well, a really well, nice. He tagged deer. out with two bucks, yeah. Yeah, so he he killed a couple bucks this year, and. Uh, he said, uh, so he had his cameras on scrapes, I believe, and that's what this relates to. So he said, uh, I feel like it's uh, it'll be a really good time of year if you want to answer it in the next few weeks, which he wrote this in like yesterday. So uh, we're bumping this one to the top because it's kind of timely. My cams have gone absolutely dead. Most are on community scrapes, some on pinch points, and a few on corn feeders. We're coming up on the does and fawns that weren't bred in November. We'll hit that 28-day cycle again, and it'll be a second rut uh, one of these days. Uh, where should I strategically place my cameras in late season after a majority of the does have been bred already? So they already had their rut. The the community scrape thing, like that's my we just talked about the community scrapes, like on our club. So like our peak rut is going to be like first week of January for our hunting club, and that's why I was saying earlier that right now it's like a bell curve. And you put those uh, cameras on those scrapes right now, and over the next two or three weeks, they should go up and up and up and get more and more pictures. And then when that rut happens, it's going to kind of die, like when you're at the top of the bell curve. And then when you're coming back off of it, it the activity is going to ramp up again. Hmm. Um, so he's like, he's like kind of past that whole bell curve. He's like on the downswing now. And um, that's after the rut. So I don't know. I personally would leave them on the community scrapes because I think they're still going to use them. Uh, but I'd maybe focus a little bit more on, on food sources also. And if, if you're not having luck on the corn feeders, then with 
how thick the property is and how they burned it and everything, if if you could identify some kind of food source that they're eating, maybe not in the cut, but on the edges of it, like on the edges of those SMZs, if you could find some greenbrier or some honeysuckle or some jasmine or something like that, uh, that might be something good to put a camera on. Just like not even just like a patch of it, but if there's like a nice edge where there's a lot of it, if you could put your camera kind of facing down that edge where you could catch them walking up and down the edge browsing on it, that might not be bad. Jacob, what do you think? So this is the time when I would say I would get back out walking the property. Like definitely I think you need to leave cameras on some of the better community scrapes that you found. And if you have multiple community scrapes on a property, that's really good because a lot of times – you may find one or two, but if you have like five or six that you think are community scrapes where a bunch of different bucks are using them, um, that's very impressive. But I would get back out and try to see by walking a whole bunch if you can go find more fresh buck sign because the bucks are still going to be laying down sign right now, especially back in their core areas. And if you can get out and start walking a whole bunch and start finding some fresher rubs or even some other smaller scrapes popping up, maybe putting cameras in and around those locations. You know, you, you mentioned the whole food source thing, which I think is a good point. I know some guys I've talked to in the past, not necessarily guests we've had on podcasts, but have had luck late post rut going into some of the thickest cover on their properties that they think are holding bucks. And if you're allowed to do this, especially on private land where baiting's loud, putting a bat of corn out in that thick cover with a camera and just seeing if anything's coming up to use it. Because some of those bucks may not be coming all the way over to like one of your corn feeders if it's in the wide open, well away from their core area. So if that's an option for you, that's something that you could potentially do. Um, or also just go try to cut some big tracks. Like go walk your creek drainages and try to find like where you're finding big tracks at. Um, if you can find that and potentially backtrack the direction you think the deer is going to and coming from, kind of hone in on an area in there that actually would funnel deer around to put a camera on and see if you can catch a buck still moving back and forth. Because the deer is still going to move. He just might completely shift a little bit from like what he was doing from pre-rut rut to now he's got like a little bit different core area that he's getting back into as the season's, you know, not necessarily coming to a close, but it's getting close to the end of season in, in Georgia because I think they close right around the first of the year, something like that. Um, I think it's a little bit later into January, but yeah. So, but again, you know, focusing on, on those areas. And also, if you have an area in mind where you consistently see does, if you could find some of that cover that the does are truly using a whole bunch, it might not be a bad idea to put a camera somewhere in there and see if you can catch a buck, like catch that mature buck actually bumping through that thick cover where these does are bedding at and seeing if he comes through and checks and seeing if any of those does are coming back in the heat. Yeah, and I, I feel like, too, uh, this actually relates back to how our season's gone, Mike, where in both season you were like, deer, 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 and then gun season opened. And gun season coincided. There was like some cold fronts right there in middle November, and really our leaf drop heavily coincides with frosts and cold fronts and the the leaf drop really happened right there around when gun season opened not like the main leaves but a lot of the understory had all the leaves had fallen off and so the woods look vastly different and it changed the pattern and i feel like when that happens the deer actually are getting more and more concentrated into that thicker cover and so i think like in mason situation here where now we're like on into december there's no leaves anywhere on anything I think they're even more concentrated in the thickest stuff ever, uh, and that can make them kind of hard to find. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're in the thick stuff, man. Yeah, but, I mean, I think you if you can, especially if it's not like tens of, you know, 10, 20, 40, 50 acre thickets or bigger thickets than that, you know, if they're a little 
five, 10 acre little thickets or smaller than that, you can walk the edges of those and try to find sign coming in and out of it, like rubs and scrapes, but also like try to find trails and crossings yeah. and then line your cameras up in some of that and to see, you know, put a camera there, leave it for seven days. Nothing happens. Keep moving those cameras around until you start get, catching bucks on camera. But again, leave a couple of those cameras on some of your better community scrapes because at some point they're going to come back. They might not work the scrape, but they're going to hit the licking branch at some point because it goes yeah. back. We get, we need to reiterate this. I guess we had on who's had a lot of success poster rut killing really big bucks on scrapes is Drew Atkinson from Arkansas. And he talks about like those bucks, you know, in January, like he's had a lot of luck, you know, he, they were up there that first last of October going to that first week and a half, two weeks of November is like their rut in that Northern part of the state. And he catches a lot of bucks using scrapes December and January. And then they're supposed, he sees a lot of like really tight patterns with them because that's when he'll implement and this is something else you can do, Mason. Even though you're bucked out, you're, you're tagged out, go get you some doe estrus if it's legal to use in your state. Put it out in a couple of those scrapes and see if that gets the bucks a little bit more fired up and actually come checking those scrapes more often. And that's exactly what Drew Atkinson does. Late season has a lot of success killing bucks on scrapes where he implements that. Yeah, for sure. All right, got to move on. Uh, this is from Stephen Brandt. This one is about highways and buck bedding. Uh do you treat highways the same as waters slash creeks when it comes to buck bedding? I've seen bucks bed with their backs up next to a highway, especially on high-pressure public land. What's your thoughts? Who, what, what do you think? We've interviewed somebody about this uh, that tried to kill a really big buck off uh, that was bedding pretty close to the highway, but you couldn't enter. You couldn't like get there from the highway. Um, wow. And uh, and also, I I've don't remember. Uh, there's a listener uh, who I've talked to out of Maryland. Um, Cannot remember. I want to say his first name is Cade, um, who found a really big buck doing that exact same thing where he's like bedded up on like a small point, like the the interstate runs on top of a big ridge, and there's a secondary little small secondary point, and it's bedding in that location, like 75 yards off the highway. Um, he's not cross. He doesn't think he's crossing the highway, but he's bedding up, you know, next to the highway and then dropping off in the evenings. Um, so, you know, my, one of my uncles, Anthony, who's been on the podcast before, they were in a hunting club somewhere in South Alabama and they actually had an interstate that ran through the property and it had an overpass and they would kill bucks during the rut in the, like under that overpass or around like they'd use that overpass as a funnel where the deer, if they want to come from one side of the road to the other side of the road, and not get hit by cars, they went under the overpass oh. over the bridge or under, they went under the bridge and they would have stand sites, you know, in and around that, whether they're bow hunting or gun hunting, kind of getting off that where like when those deer pinch down, they come back out into the woods. They're right there for you. Um, so like if you have that option, that could be really, really good as well. But I've had, I've heard multiple people talk about like deer bedding in and around highways and interstates. And it's not necessarily, uh, some of the guys I talked to, they don't, it's not necessarily, they think it's like a safety thing. It's just, there, it's such an, it's an area that they just don't get a lot of pressure for whatever reason. Um, and it's not necessarily like water or anything. It's just like a lot of people aren't going to, you know, be 150 yards off a highway, 200 yards off a highway. So it might just be the one area that nobody ever goes to, whether it's a piece of private land or a piece of public land, and those deer just down bedded and, and traveling through that area. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. I don't really have a lot of experience with that myself. Um, I mean, I've found beds close to roads and everything, but even with our GPS uh, stuff that we looked at from Auburn University, the, a lot of the, the daytime core areas, daytime bedding locations for the bucks in that, were very close to roads. So, uh, in a couple instances, they were paved roads or highways. In other instances, it was just logging roads, but it was like where a road would fork 
or something like that. And I don't think it's like I go back to like what Josh Driver said that a deer they're not uh, they're not uh, consciously acting; they're subconsciously reacting. Meaning that the deer is not like, oh, I know, I'm gonna sit right here on this hill next to the highway above the parking lot so I can see when the hunters are coming in. Like they can't think like that. He he's just sitting there because he like doesn't get messed with right there. Like yeah. no one is walking all over that spot. No one's bumping him out of it. So that's why he's there. So it's like a function of that. And that's why like on our hunting club, for instance, I don't, I don't, I haven't found a lot of that. Like I found in other places, like the deer are in areas like where they're kind of supposed to be. Like it's pretty predictable where the deer are on the hunting club, where if I'm hunting some public, they're not always that predictable. I think because of the the pressure, because people are going to the spots where the deer should be, and so then they start doing weird stuff, you know. So I mean, that's my opinion on it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. You have anything else to add? No, I mean, it's definitely something worth scouting. Like, mm-hmm. I guess based I, off, I would his, look at the whys and the roads, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, is he talking about highway? Did he say? Did he specifically say highways or just roads? You treat highways the same as water slash creeks when it comes to buck bedding. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would treat it like water or creeks. No, I mean, I don't think I would. Unless he means like they're bedding up against it, maybe. But like, you know. Like a back wall? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Kind of like what uh, um, PK. Uh, uh, Doug White. Doug White. God, Doug, sorry. <laughs> um, Jacob would forget his own mom's name. Yeah. That's where. And, uh, but yeah, I guess it, it could be like that, like a back wall. But it's just. I think it's just more so it's, it's an area that deer typically don't get a lot of pressure. They don't run into a lot of people. Um, and that's the only reason why they're in those locations. Yeah. All right. Last up. This is from Johnny from Alabama. He didn't leave his last name. Uh, he was wondering, uh, he said, I was wondering how would you go about killing mature bucks in very highly pressured mountains of blankety blank national forest that is full of Stand and dog hunters, I found it very hard to get a pattern on any specific buck or even find deer consistently. Um, he named the place that he was, and I wish I could say it to you because mm-hmm. uh, we're familiar with it. Um, so I, I'll, I'll take this one first. Um, with how it's highly pressured like that and it has all the dog hunters on it, um, I mean, it kind of relates to that last question. It's like, where where are the other people not going and I wouldn't even necessarily worry about the dog hunters that much. Like, if you're in an area with really good cover uh, where the deer have ample escape opportunities, we have some experience hunting places that are dog hunted, and that's and, and we've killed mature bucks in places that are dog hunted. And uh, it, it, it always comes down to finding an area where the deer can get away from those dogs without having to go past people, yeah. I guess. So whether that be thick cover or you said it's like a mountainous area, uh, like aggressive terrain, really steep, nasty stuff that either the dogs aren't really going through, the dogs are funneling around it, or uh, the people aren't getting up in there and, and standing. Because, like, those dog hunters, most of those guys are not, like, hiking in really far. They're, they're, they're on roads or they're on ridges that are, you know, not far off of roads. At least, at least... Trying As to get, I understand. Yeah, it seems like they're just trying to get the deer, the dogs to run the deer back by. Yeah, that's why they got the dogs. Yeah. You know, they're not, they're, they ain't bushwhacking, really. Yeah, so, I mean, I think that would just be the biggest thing is, like, getting far enough away from road access that a dog hunter is not going to go to. 
And like you said, like if deer live in an area with dogs, they're getting constantly ran by dogs. That's just something that they have to deal with. But you'll still find mature bucks in those areas because they don't get killed. You mm-hmm. know, if a dog gets on, they're not running towards a road. Every once in a while, they'll kill a. Those dog hunters will kill a big old buck. Mm-hmm. But the, and to me, that just goes to show that like obviously these deer are good enough at avoiding these dogs and dog hunters that they can get this old yeah. and this big. You know, so so there's something in there where it's like they kill that. You know, once in a blue moon, they kill that freaking six and a half year old just monarch. Like that deer lived for six years in front of a bunch of people who would have killed it mm-hmm. for like you know all these years, and uh, and he he's made it this long. So it's like, where is he going? That because there's a spot out there. I mean, it's not like you know, it's not like there's no area where where the deer are. Or what like they're they're in there somewhere. Uh, I don't know like exactly what you've been doing to try to find a uh, deer or bucks or anything, but like, man, if you always do what you always done, you always get what you always got. So got to change it up a little bit, man. Like uh, I, w- I would start with the thick cover and, uh, and then I would go look for uh, aggressive terrain, meaning just like really steep, like rocky, just terrible stuff that, that is hard to walk through. And, uh, and if you can find that in combination with thick cover, then you'll be in really good shape. You'll probably find some stuff. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Um, and, and you also, one thing, it'd probably be a good idea. Like if you know, there's a lot of dog hunting pressure there and this goes for any state. If you could actually, if you could learn and know some of these dog hunters and what they typically do. And like, it seems like these guys probably have similar areas. They always let their dogs out at. Yeah. And if that's the case, like there's certain areas they always are hunting. If you look at a map from that 30,000 foot view, you can kind of figure out like looking at LNX, you know, what's a mile and a half to two miles from there that they're not going to be getting to. Oh yeah. And, and then using that be like, okay, well I'm going to try to go hike in there and see if I can find any sign. Cause you might, you could probably find something where the dog hunters aren't molesting those deer. Um, it'd be really hard. Cause we've had people write in like, man, I'm in a dog hunting club. Or I got neighbors that are dog hunters you know, I've got 200 acres to hunt, you know, what should I do? I'm like, well, that's a harder situation than if you have a huge piece of public land and you can kind of pinpoint potentially where guys are actually turning dogs loose and what they're really hunting a whole bunch and then try to find something, again, that's just out of their reach that maybe the dogs run deer through there, but the hunters aren't going in there to go shoot a deer. Yeah, for sure. And, like, just because it's a dog hunting area doesn't mean that it's going to be bad because in the past we've gone out of our way to a dog hunting area Mm -hmm. and had good luck. Well, it's like – Great example. There's some stuff in South Alabama. I mean, yeah. and, like there's a bunch of states that have dog hunters, but like there's there's some stuff in South Alabama where they kill big deer, yeah. both on dog hunts and also steel hunters. Yep. And it's like don't 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 get discouraged. Yeah, don't get discouraged because I've I've seen some people that kill some absolute giants, especially in certain areas of the state um, that are highly pressured by dogs and they, they still kill big deer. Mm-hmm. And, and Don't say too much now. Come on. <laughs> I know someone who uses the dog pressure for their advantage. Uh, oh yeah. In Florida? Yeah. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. I was actually going to bring him up. He yeah. mentioned it on the podcast. Are you talking about Austin? Uh-uh. Oh, I don't know who you're talking about then. No. Um, no, listen to the show. Um, oh, okay, okay. And uh, he, he says like, you know, if he can go out on, on like when guys are dog hunting and get in the middle where these guys aren't going, but the dogs are running them, get in those spots. And he's killed some really, really good deer doing that. Yeah. I mean, we've, we did that. We've done that in the past, kind of a similar situation where like 
the the dog hunters kind of just didn't really get to this one area and we keyed in on it and we had some luck uh so like it, it can happen but like i said just just look at where those people are not going and uh whether it be the dog hunters or the still hunters or whatever so uh anyways i think that's all we got man yeah Appreciate everybody that's been buying hats. Again, get the old Southern Norseman chocolate chip hat. Again, uh, appreciate everybody's support. Orders are going out ASAP. So if you want some hats, you want some Southern Outdoorsman uh, gear before Christmas gets here, put your order in. And uh, I package every order myself, so you get a little get you a little note from Jacob Myers, okay? <laughs> um, but appreciate everybody that's been buying merchandise. Again, that link will be down below as well, uh, or you just go over to the website, southernoutdoorsman.com. Pretty sure I appreciate everybody watching. Appreciate everybody listening to the podcast. And, hey, Remember, write in your listener success stories. We've had some great ones coming this fall, but we still have a ton of season left, especially for some of us in the deep south if seasons go really long. We're going to have one from Mike soon. Yeah, we're going to have one from Mike. So, you know, (laughs) make sure you write your listener success stories in, guys. But, again, just appreciate y'all watching, appreciate y'all listening, and uh, we'll catch you back on the next episode of the Southern Outdoors Podcast. And remember, y'all stay southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.